Today's podcast is brought to you by StealthyHunter.com. We are so excited to share that after many years, we now have all of our sister brands under one roof, StealthyHunter.com. There you can find our blogs, stories, recipes. You can listen to and download all of the Hunt Harvest Health podcasts, and you can now buy all of our Stealthy Nutrition products. This is very exciting for us. We have worked for many years to get to this place where we can make it as convenient as possible for you to go learn more about our Stealthy lifestyle. If you'd like to try any of the products, programs, gear, merchandise on our website, please go to StealthyHunter.com and at checkout, use the code GETSTEALTHY. Remember, Stealthy with an H, gets to healthy for 10% off your next order. StealthyHunter.com. everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. It's Doc here. Today we have a couple special guests that um, joined us via Zoom call, uh, Ryan Muncy and Mike Lum. Uh, this is going to be part one of a two-part podcast, so make sure you listen to part one and part two to get the full context. Um, Ryan Muncy is a coach, uh, speaker, he's a consultant, he really works to help people be better and do better. Um, if you go to his website, ryanmuncie.com, you can see that he is specializing in coaching, better human workshops, speaking, and he has a new book out called F Your Feelings. Yep, that's what it says, F Your Feelings. And actually, it's an amazing book. It's really good um, and I kind of joke with him in this podcast that the title is so lowbrow that a lot of people get confused. And actually, I found it very um, educational. And as somebody who is more highly educated, it was a great book based on research and a lot of work that he's done with neuroscience. So um, go check that book out, F Your Feelings. Uh, Mike Lum has been a fishing guide here in Bozeman for 30 years. He's a performance coach and he has a business um, in Bozeman called U3 Wellness. So you can connect with him if you live locally here and you want to do any work with him. He's working mainly with kind of helping you become a better backcountry hunter in all areas. They have a business together called Feel the Pursuit. And Feel the Pursuit is a number of things. Mainly, it was a it started as a um, backcountry food company because they realized the backcountry food uh, lineup is pretty poor out there. And so they've been working to create some of the healthiest and honestly, the most delicious backcountry food possible. And we talk about that some in, I think it's part two, but uh, that's what they're doing together. And then they've also created an online program for the backcountry hunter. You can go to fuelthepursuit.com. You can go to community, see their, uh, what they've put together there, which is, is, is pretty awesome. Um, and then they have a number of products, uh, but as well as their food. So the problem with the food right now is it's actually sold out and 
as we've had this discussion in the past with other guests, you know, getting food, getting it timely, getting raw ingredients, getting high quality raw ingredients is really difficult to do. So they're hoping that they're going to have more of their product out soon. Um, Ryan tried it and he really likes it. I, I even took some to work and really enjoyed them. Um, they're very nutrient dense and they taste really good. So hopefully they'll be able to get that all together and, um, you can enjoy that. But for now, you can go and their backcountry prep online program. If you use the code STEALTHY at checkout, you'll get 20% off the $100. So um, that's what they have to offer there at fuelthepursuit.com. It's a fun, fun podcast that we did. Two parts, lots of information. And this one, we're going to you know, kind of shoot the, shoot the breeze. We're going to talk about mentorship and role models and hunting. We're going to talk about uh, both of their stories and how they got into this. And then we're also going to talk about some highbrow topics like stress, heart rate availability, and we're going to talk about vagal tone, which we probably could do an entire podcast on vagal tone. And I might do that so that can kind of break that down. But Ryan does a great description of what that means here. Um, All right, this is part one, check out part two as well. And if you need to get in touch with either of these gentlemen, or you want to learn more about who they are, ryanmuncie.com and fuelthepursuit.com. All right, enjoy. Let's introduce these folks. Yes, let's introduce them. So Tell us what you guys are about, and uh, we'll go from there. Great. All right. Uh, my name is Ryan Muncy, and I never know how to tell people what it is that I do. So um, we'll try to give you guys the short version. Um, my wife and I live in Northern Virginia. We're about an hour west of D.C., um, and I have a degree in food science and human nutrition. Um, used to own a gym. Got rid of that, sold it in 2016. We moved to Virginia Beach, lived there for a couple of years before we moved here. Um, And I've hosted podcasts since probably 2015, I think. Done some work with a few startups. Um, Wrote a book called F Your Feelings. I'm going to go with the safe route. I'm not sure if we can cuss on here or not. So uh, the book is, is, uh, we can talk more about it later, but it was basically, you know, my attempt to try to understand what's going on between our ears and to provide folks with a user's manual for uh, not only what it means to be human, but how to be successful in whatever endeavor we may uh, choose to pursue. Um, And, you know, my work in the gym and and with nutrition, and then I've I've been able to work with um, a lot of CEOs, entrepreneurs, um, tier one military operators, Olympic and professional athletes. And, um, I also, as, as you mentioned earlier, get to, to talk to um, a lot of lab coats and a lot of smart people in academia and read a lot of research. And so the book kind of marries and, and synthesizes um, theory and then application. Um, and uh, that's kind of my work in a nutshell. I do a lot of coaching, um, consulting. I met Mike a few years ago. Um, and on, on one of our, I think it was our first phone call at the end, he says, you know, hey, if you ever want to come out west and go hunting and fishing, let me know. And, and I was like, yeah, actually, I do. I'll just tell you now. And uh, within a year, I was uh, in Montana hunting, hunting elk with him and, uh, and was hooked from day one. So um, that's how we got connected. And, and I'll let Mike take it from there. <laughs> 
Um, <clears throat> my name is Mike Lum. Um, my wife and I and our daughter uh, live, live here in Bozeman. Um, we've been here for quite a few years. I lived in Ennis for many, many years. Um, <clears throat> I'm a fly fishing guide. have been for almost 30 years now. I think I'm going on, on year 30 here. Um, hunting and fishing my entire life. Um, and have also in the past 10 years, about 10 years ago now, I got uh, kind of into uh well actually when our daughter was born um kind of figured i needed to do something a little bit different with my with my health and and longevity and whatnot we started having we started trying to have kids a little later in life so um i'm i'm uh, 52 now and our daughter's uh, 11 so kind of just figured i needed to do a, a, some things a little bit differently and um through all that kind of the short version is um got certified to become a health coach so i, I coach people as well around nutrition and fitness and you know mindset and all these things that we're we're probably going to talk about today so um, um, my, my story is a little bit shorter than Ryan's. Um, I'm, my, my sort of more full-time thing is, is being a fishing guide and, you know, spending a lot of time in the mountains and whatnot as well. So, um, like Ryan said, he came out here and, and we got, we kind of got connected through our sort of shared background as far as, you know, coaching and whatnot. And, and I called him to get, get a little advice and, you know, we kind of connected from there and, and, and he came out here and, and we can, we can talk about the origin story of fuel the pursuit from there. If, if you'd like, it's a, it's kind of a funny story. But um, yeah, that's, that's, that's sort of my, my background. So yeah, just give us a little background. I know the Fuel the Pursuit, that's your food company, right? And that's also, is that your program that you have as well? Like, okay. So yeah, why don't you give us some background on that? Yeah, like give us some, yeah. little, tell us the story, the origin story. <laughs> sure. Well, the, the background is, uh, you know, as we said, I think, I think 2019, right, Mike, that was the yeah. first year that I came out and, mm -hmm. um, and, and was hunting in Montana. And I grew up hunting and fishing here in Virginia, um, but I had never been gone for more than an afternoon. Um, you know, everything here is, you know, you go sit in a tree stand and, you know, maybe it's half a day. And so um, going out there and doing the backpacking thing and, you know, whether it's truck camping or just generally being gone for several days and, and having to take into consideration food and water and, you know, all those things that, um, you know, go into Western hunting. And, you know, as Mike said, we got connected over our shared passion and, and interest in, you know, health, nutrition, all things performance. And so, um, you know, food is, is very important to, to both of us and, and neither of us is willing to compromise on, you know, the choices that we make and, and the foods that we put into our body. And, um, you know, we were kind of going back and forth as I was planning and, and, and trying to figure out, you know, hey, what am I going to take? And you know, this whole idea for me of, you know, low weight, um, you know, you got to carry everything with you. So it needs to be small and, um, you know, nutrient dense and, you know, all these considerations that, that go into that conversation. And, and it continued, you know, you know, sitting on the mountain and glassing and just, you know, having these conversations. And, um, you know, we quickly realized that, what we wanted to eat on those trips didn't exist. Um, you know, the commercially available stuff just, there was, there was no one food that checked every box, um, whether that's, um, you know, high calorie count, um, you know, nutrient dense, the right ratio of protein, carbs, and fats, uh, quality ingredients, no fillers, no BS, um, you know, none of those, nutrient robbing things that are that are in foods um so because that didn't exist we actually just started kind of making our own things um i started doing a homemade pemmican mike started doing some meals um, he, he left this out in his bio but he's actually a very accomplished chef and he makes some of the best tasting food you'll ever eat um 
And so he started dehydrating it, started bringing it on our trips. And um, I mean, he and I have hunted together, you know, every, every year in the fall and two springs of bear hunting since then. So we've had a lot of opportunities to kind of test this stuff out. And, um, you know, we just said, Hey, let's make it. And, you know, let's, let's not only are we going to get the food out there, but as you mentioned, the program um, we're calling that backcountry prep is um, mixing our background in performance. So, you know, the, the nutrition, the fitness side of things, the mindset recovery, um, all of that is, is there for folks who, um, you know, like me, um, or, or even people that, that have been out West and, and had that opportunity to hunt and, and just want to get better. Um, you know, all of that information is in one place on how you can become a better performer, um, and specifically better in the mountains. Yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, that's awesome. I, like I say, I, I don't, I didn't know a lot about Mike. I didn't know, um, where you came from. You're just down the road from us here now. Yeah. Yeah, um, fly mm -hmm. fishing guy. That's cool. Mm -hmm. So I'm assuming you probably do a little spring bear hunting and all things elk and and mule. Oh bear, yeah, so. yeah, yeah. Big time elk and of course antelope and yeah, and white tails. Spent a lot of time in a tree stand and yeah. I mean, I've been hunting since I was a little kid. I grew up. I kind of grew up in the mountains in Colorado and moved up moved up here in the early '90s. So yeah, yeah. I spent a lot of time doing that stuff and and yeah. You know, as I get a little bit older, it it, uh, it you know can become a little bit more difficult. And I'm I'm planning on doing this stuff with my daughter until I'm a hundred. So <laughs> I gotta I gotta make sure it's you know I'm taking care of myself and, and doing the right thing. So yeah. Yeah, man. That's sounds just like me then because uh we started later in life as well um i'm what 48 now i believe and uh yeah we've mm -hmm. got a six and a 13 so um yeah we're we're wanting to do this we always say 80 100 sounds better though i like i like 100 more <laughs> nice um, round number yeah i like i like uh what you guys are doing with the food because um as well like me and my group you know a while back we figured out what was out there just wasn't gonna work it wasn't gonna be um what would sustain us for a 10-day trip and it seems like all our trips are 10 days now 10 to 12 days and to be able to do that you have to be putting the right stuff into your body so we started you know kind of branching off of what you would find at the reis and you know your classic mountain house type stuff and building our own or figuring out ways to diy our snacks and and, and drinks and meals breakfasts and uh and it's cool to see now that there's companies like yours and there's a couple others out there that are starting to put clean ingredients together, um, you know, make meals that are actually going to help you. Uh, you're not going to feel like dirt. You're not going to be swollen. You're not going to be inflamed by, by the week's end, you know, of just getting up there. I mean, you're literally putting your body through um, about as tough of a challenge as you can if, if you're doing some of these Western hunts. And, you know, I'm sure Mike being down in NS, you stomp around some pretty, you know, big gnarly mountains and, and, uh, chase, chasing critters down there is not easy. So, um, yeah. Yeah. yeah, the nutrient density, like Ryan said, the, the packaging, you know, sm small packages that are just nutrient dense, it's really important. And we're, we're trying to continually learn and figure out things that work in our kit, um, that go in our you know, on our menu that, that work well for us. And it's always changing, ever changing, but, um, it's fun to do honestly. And it's, it's great that there's companies out there that are, that are going to actually provide these for folks. We kind of like to do it ourselves if we can, but then also 
always trying out other people's products and things like that, seeing, seeing how they work for us. But um, yeah, I, I love the food game. You know, we like the, uh, we like the building your own with things that we've either harvested or, you know, taken the last year. Like I put a bunch of this bear meat that I'm getting now into our fall hunts, building meals. And uh, man, I just, I just love, so there's something about that that just makes it feel right. Mm -hmm. That was, that was a big part of the conversation that Ryan and I had initially when he came out here, you know, we, we, would, you know, you, you, you look at hunters these days and, and yeah, there's, there's definitely, I think a little more of the, um, what you said, Hillary, you know, people bringing in things like mindset and, and, you know, some of these things to, to take care of yourself, but you look at a lot of these guys, you look on social media and whatnot, and, you know, you see, you watch these guys and they're spending, you know, thousands of dollars on their camouflage and, you know, thousands on their weapon and all their gear and their kit. And then they're, they're laughing about going to the gas station on the way out of town to pick up their food for the week or whatever. And we're looking at this going, wait a minute, this is, this is completely backwards. Like we, <laughs> you know, yeah, you guys might spend a bunch of time in the gym, but then you take all this crappy food out there and you expect to get up the mountain, up and down the mountain for, you know, a week, 10 days at a time. And to, to us, that's kind of like backwards thinking, like, is that, is that, you know, camo going to drag you up the mountain? Is your, is your rifle or your, your tent, your expensive tent going to drag you up the mountain? Absolutely not. I mean, it's, you know, it's a fuel you're putting in your body and, and what, what we always say, and it's very true, is, is your outputs are only as good as your inputs, right? If you're putting crappy stuff in, whether it's, you know, you're feeding your brain with, you know, crappy information or news or whatever the case may be, or you're putting crappy food in your body, you're just not going to, you're not going to perform uh, you know, uh, to, to, to your, to your personal peak. It's just, that's just the way it works. So, you know, that's the, you know, and when we're not, uh, I mean, it, it makes such an incredible difference to put the right things in your body. You know, one of the other, one of the other things that, that we kind of think through is, you know, guys spent all year or, or big, a big part of the year training, you know, to, to, to go on these hunts. And then all of a sudden they, they, they this hunt is this sort of separate thing for people. We're going to go in the mountains and we're going to suffer and we're going to, it's going to be really, really hard. And we're going to eat this crappy food that we get at the gas station or whatever. Well, for, from my perspective, and I'm not going to speak for Ryan, he can, he can talk about this as well too, but you know, for me going in the mountains is just an opportunity to get a harder workout. And I want to, I want to be, I want to come out of the mountains in better shape than I go in. Right. And if you're going to go eat pop tarts and Snickers, that's not going to happen. So that's, that's how I think about it. It's just, it's just an opportunity to go and, and do a, you know, a, a physical retreat where you're going and you're going to, you're going to crush yourself and you're going to come out in better shape and feeling better than when you went in. It makes me think about our summits. <clears throat> we do these summits, you know, in the summer and people come and they stay for four days. And I'm always like, okay, let's, and Ryan's like, no, we're doing an overnight hike. We're getting up at 4am. We're doing this. I was like, really? You think these guys are going to want to do that? They're coming here. He's like, no, it's not a retreat. It's not a retreat. <laughs> people are coming to actually do this stuff and I want them to leave exhausted. And I was like, okay. So it's a, uh, that's his mindset as well. Yeah, I just want people to leave there knowing like what it does take to stomp up mountains. Um, mm -hmm. you know, we're going to make them stomp up a mountain that's really hard. They're going to they're going to be sweating a lot and exhausted at the end of the day, long hours, similar to a hunt. But like you're alluding to, Mike, I think if you're fueling your body right, I think if you're treating your body year round um, correctly, you know, you're you're not just trying to work yourself into shape during the hunt but right. you're in shape at the hunt and then obviously getting better during the hunt. Um, man, 
you're going to have so many more opportunities. And I think opportunities in today's world, public lands, especially, um, doesn't matter where you're at, but they're few and they can be few and far between for sure. Yeah. Um, hunting is difficult. And oftentimes the reason we do these extended trips, you know, week plus 10 day, 12 day trips is because opportunities can be limited and, and we might be going for a more mature animal. So you may get only one or two of those opportunities on a trip. And if you don't have it in the tank to go as high as you need to, or drop into that 2000 foot Canyon at any point in the hunt, whether it's day seven, eight, nine, ten, 10, um, you better feel fresh and take every advantage of every opportunity that you can, or, uh, you're just, you're just not going to be as successful. And, and that's not what I want. I want to be able to have no limits out there. Um, I don't like having limits as far as physical when I'm out on the mountain. So, um, that's, that's why fortunately for me, I married this one and she has got me very healthy throughout the rest yeah. of the year. And <laughs> Mike, you and I are, you know, similar of age. So, uh, you know, I remember the, the early years of, of not having the right food. You know, I did it like everybody else. It was whatever I could get thrown the snack bag and just snack on whatever. Um, and then bonking in there some point and, and not having the, the mental toughness to say on day five, I'm going to do whatever it takes to get this animal, um, killed. I will climb the highest peak and dump into the darkest hole. Um, but now at 48, I am willing to do all of that. And I, I attribute a lot of that to food and, and fitness and, and just general health because, um, there's not the, the soreness, the inflammation, the, the exhaustedness that I used to feel when I was just dumping crud carbs into my body all day. And, uh, and I just didn't have it in the tank. And I feel like now at, at 48, I have it way more in the tank than I did in my twenties. And that was just because I didn't know what I was doing back then. I was, I wasn't feeling my body right for sure. Yeah. And I think that's really, that's really an important point too, is that, you know, it's one thing when you get to be in your, you know, upper thirties or forties or even, even fifties or older, you know, yeah, that stuff kind of becomes more important and more immediate, but we really want to talk to people that are like in their twenties and, you know, in thirties, because you stack, you know, good nutrition and, you know, the, the mental side of it. And of course the fitness side of it on top of a 20 year old body. Now all of a sudden, you know, all bets are off. You're, you're a machine at that point. You shouldn't necessarily wait until you're, until you're starting to feel it before you do this stuff. Cause it, it matters all the time, you know? Absolutely. We just had that conversation. We, uh, we brought a, a young gentleman, I think he's uh, 26 into the mountains on this last 10 day or, uh, and, and his, he hadn't done a lot of this type thing. This was new to him and he kind of wanted to see, uh, what it was all about. And he's, great with the camera he's done a lot of hiking and things like that but he had never done something this hard and so we you know i had him build he built five days of food like he built the snack bag and his breakfast and dinners and whatever and then i built five days for him and and it was interesting number one he ran out of food every day uh during his first five days um, because he didn't have enough of it and what was in his five days of food was garbage like it was not great food and he was he was feeling it he was tired and uh and then you know fast forward when we got past day five and he got the ziplocs that i gave him 
there was much more of it and it was much more calorie dense and it was cleaner and um and the guy crushed it in the end i mean he did really well but we had those same conversations of you know it was like well i'm in my 20s i can get away with this now it's like yeah but i mm -hmm. sure wish i would have done it in my 20s because uh why wait like why wait for that overuse injury or why wait till you you have to change um stay ahead of it you know and yeah. uh and and start now and just know that you know speaking from somebody who's who's been there um if you do it now you're just going to be better off in your 40s you're going to be much better than i am now if you're doing it in your 20s so we had those conversations and i think we convinced him yeah his, I his think... conversations about going to taco bell at the end of the trip <laughs> um kind of changed a little bit as we're as we're talking through this well what's interesting is i think it's important to have a good healthy mentor because I think a lot of us have mentors that aren't maybe that healthy or we're going off of our family, you know, our, our um, family unit, like maybe our parents are overweight or siblings, nobody exercises. Like, you know, you, you wonder how people, you, you look at the general population and you think to yourself, like, how could somebody get like that? You know, um, we just went to Florida recently, which was heaven. I'm like ready to move there. Cause when you live in the tundra for eight months, I was like amazing. But like, it's, it's just interesting to travel and like be in an airport and look at a, uh, look around at the micro, the microcosm of like the American population and maybe the international population when you're in these large airports and uh, just seeing like how unhealthy people just look like I'm not making any judgment of if they're healthy or not internally or what their mental state is or whatnot, but just looking around and thinking, wow, so many people look unhealthy. They just don't look happy. They don't, they don't look fit. They look metabolically unflexible. We'll talk about that in a minute, Ryan. And I, I think like sometimes you have to have when you're young, I think having mentors that are teaching you these healthy habits, because a lot of people may not be getting that anywhere else in their life, you know? And so when you're in your twenties and you have those mentors, it's like, wow, I see these guys in their forties, fifties, sixties doing this. That's what I want to be. So your goal is to maybe do that instead of if you're seeing, you know, all your friends or your older mentors are not doing that, you know, they're just watching football all weekend or drinking beer on the weekend and, you know, not working out and I don't know, doing fantasy football and video games all the time. Like <laughs> that's what you, I'm using Ryan's correlation there, fantasy football or watching game of Thrones or something. All the time. Um, I love it. You were paying attention. I was. Um, <laughs> you know, I do. I, I mean, pay attention too much is my default. Yeah. For, for people like us, you know, who have a passion for and an and interest in performance and nutrition. And, you know, like Brian said, it's, it's fun to build these kits and, and to tinker. And, you know, the same way that a lot of archery guys are tinkering with, um, you know, their shafts and, you know, fletching and, you know, how much weight do you want up front, right? Like we do that with nutrition. And a lot of guys, you know, as Mike said earlier, you know, the, the only thought they give to it is, you know, oh, hey, we, we arrived in whatever place, you know, we're hunting. And before we leave civilization, let's go to Walmart or let's go to, you know, a gas station, whatever, and just load up. And, you know, that's, that's the extent to which they think about the food side. And, um, you know, a lot of this, like I said, it's, it's frustrating for, for those of us who are passionate about it because we, 
you know, when we see this, it makes us want to pull our hair out. And, you know, Mike and I have a couple of group texts with some buddies and, and a lot of times, you know, posts are shared internally and it's like, oh my gosh, I can't believe that this, um, you know, this brand or that this outlet is, you know, sharing this low quality of information about this thing. And, and that's, that's the frustration to us is the lack of education. And then what is circulated is substandard. And it's so frustrating because there are some people out there that want to learn and want to know. Um, and for those folks, it can be very challenging to sift through um, what is actually good and helpful information versus what is, you know, just being regurgitated from mass media that really isn't that helpful for anybody, much less someone who is, I mean, even if you don't think of yourself uh, being a Western hunter as a performance athlete, I mean, this is probably for, for a lot of people, it's the most physically and mentally demanding thing that they're going to do, you know, all year long. So, you know, my thought is why not view yourself, treat yourself year round, like you're a performance athlete. Um, but, you know, I think, I think, and Hill mentions this all the time, um, being ambassadors, like we had this great opportunity here as, as far as hunters, backcountry hunters, um, Western hunters, whatever it is to <clears throat> kind of show the world. Like if we want to promote this thing and, and we're talking that, you know, we've talked about meat and we've talked about the values of, of this clean, organic food source and, and all that. And then there's the adventure side of it and the challenge side of it. Um, but we are in a great position to have more of a lifestyle. This hunting this hunting thing that we do can offer such a great lifestyle. Like the hunting season itself is like our little Olympics. Um, and what do you do if you're an Olympic athlete? You train year round. Like you mm -hmm. have to treat your body year round um, extremely well. You have to feed it right. You have to constantly train. And then you have this short time frame of a hunting season where we have to be at our best in our absolute peak shape. And I think that is healthy. I think that's, that's valuable. And there's a lot of new hunters on the scene right now. And I think it's fantastic. A lot of people don't like the fact that there's so many new guys out there stomping around the mount, uh, the mountains and, and, you know, it's definitely taken up some public land, but, um, we need it. And I think it's great. I love seeing it. I love seeing more folks at the trailheads. It just makes me go further and get more creative with where I go. But, um, but I think, you know, like I said, with the hunting thing, having the opportunity to prove to everyone out there that we can be the healthiest, the cleanest eating, um, you know, mentally tough. It's just a, I think it's just a great opportunity for us to kind of show the world that doesn't really understand it. Folks like my wife and, and her circle of friends back, you know, back in the day that not anymore. My circle of friends is now all hunters. At all, like whatsoever. <laughs> like so crazy. These, these fuds out there just going out and shooting stuff. Um, and yet it's not about that. Like it, the fact that we do have tags in our pockets and we have this goal about going out there and, and filling these tags, it's part of it. But um, before that all happens, like we have this year round training regimen and we have this uh clean eating lifestyle and um trying to always build our our mental toughness to be able to handle these type trips i think in the end it just makes us better um so i don't know where i was going with that but i think i think we have this opportunity in front of us right now to promote 
the clean eating, like you guys are talking about the, the mental tough toughness part. Um, and, and getting that in front of this new generation who I feel like 10 years ago, we had lost the younger generation. Like we were going to lose this thing of hunting, um, because it, it really was not getting promoted very well. Uh, Hollywood definitely poo-poos it a lot, but, um, and maybe it's just me, but, uh, I'm looking at it now as if, man, we, we are sparking a interest with, I think, clean living, clean eating, uh, adventure, all these things that can go along with the hunting part. And it's, it's, it's inspiring people. And so we're getting this new crowd out there doing this thing. And I think we need to keep, keep, uh, I guess getting in front of them, um, kind of like what you guys are doing uh building building your own meals like that's a big part of it you know just um just uh sorry just getting uh getting these guys opportunities to to do this thing that you know mike you and i have seen for years and we've been privy to it's it's fantastic and it's a great life and uh unfortunately a lot of a lot of folks weren't raised with it but um i think you guys will probably reach a little bit different demographic with uh with what you're doing ryan with with the food thing and um talking talking more in, in lines with health and the healthy benefits of, of what we're doing you know i i really i really like that perspective even if you separate um the the hunting and the harvesting from the lifestyle you know the lifestyle itself you know in isolation is just a great lifestyle i mean honestly i i probably wouldn't i mean i know i wouldn't if i if i didn't have a goal if my goal wasn't to go kill an elk you know in the fall i probably wouldn't do what i do i mean i might do something different but yeah it's really like you say it's it's not necessarily just about the the harvest and the, and, and the and the the, the you know, reaching that end goal of, of if that's your goal of killing an animal. I mean the whole it's it's a year round lifestyle and that's I think that's you know I think there's people that are becoming aware of that perspective, um, but I think yeah in the past that's sort of been missing from the whole picture of what people understand and, and feel and how they feel about hunting. You know it's it, you know and like you said there, there's it, it didn't get promoted very well back you know 20 years ago and and it's just you know what people thought of the stereotypical hunter that wasn't you and I, that wasn't, that wasn't us, you know, that it wasn't any of us. And, 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 and what we do is so different, I think, than people's visual when they think about what a hunter is, you know, that, that I think that, that to me, you know, this lifestyle, it's like, yeah, you can, you can, you know, work in an office in a city and you can go to the gym and you can stay in shape and you can maybe even eat right. You know, but I, I, I've got friends who do this, like they go to the gym and they crush themselves, you know, on a daily basis. And you ask them, well, why do they do it? And they, they can't really answer that. Well, I do it to stay in shape. I do it to, you know, maybe live longer or whatever. And I'm seeing them like, you know, crush their joints because they're not doing it right. Or they're not feeding themselves correctly. And they're limping around. I'm like, okay, like, like, why are you doing this? <laughs> you know, and they don't really have, you know, a great answer for that. And, you know, for, for me, and I'm not, again, like I say, I'm not judging anybody for what you do. You know, that's great. You, you can go, you know, take care of your body and stay in shape and live a long time and all that. But for me, um, a big part of it is purpose. Right. And, and that's that, 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 idea that concept of purpose drives a lot of what ryan and i do certainly what i do um you know because you know <laughs> to rely on your fitness level and food on day 12 to drag you up that mountain 
okay, you, you've got the physical capabilities, you've got the skills, but, um, you know, it's really that sense of purpose and that mindset that's going to really, okay, like I, this is what I'm doing. And I'm going to go up there one more time because that bull's going to be up there and I know what he's doing now and I'm going to go get him now. Right. And, and so that's, you know, we go back to our, our course. We didn't write a fitness course, you know, there's a bunch of those out there. You know, we didn't just write a nutrition course. You know, there's not very many of those out there as far as we can tell, but we wrote a course for, for, for the whole package, which includes recovery and mindset, which, which the mindset piece of our course has been one of the most popular, you know, piece of people. We, we, we've gotten the most comments on that module of our course, because, you know, a lot of guys maybe do some of the things, you know, without thinking about it, but to lay it out there, like, listen, this is just like, going to the gym. This is just like fitness. This is just like nutrition. You can train this stuff. You know, you don't have to, your, your mindset is not fixed. How you think about things and consider things and your, and your, and your, you know, the way you stick to things, your grit, your motivation, all that stuff is all, it's all one. It's all connected. You know, they're not, you can't think about fitness and nutrition and mindset in isolation. They're all connected, right? You know, going back to that, your outputs are only as good as your inputs. If you're putting crappy food in your body, your mindset, your mind, and the way your brain works is not going to be at its peak, you know, and that's, that's really what we want to, to kind of show people and explain to people is it's all, it all matters. It's not just thinking, of, and, and there's so many people in, I mean, fitness is the perfect example. So many people think of fitness in, in just isolation. Well, I got to get in shape. Okay. Sure. You absolutely do. Um, but you know, then you go to the gas station and buy your food and you go and, and you're out there on day three and you're hiking up and you, and you, and you're, you haven't seen anything. And all of a sudden, like start thinking about your couch and that's got more gravity to it than actually staying up on the mountain. So it's, it's all, it's all connected. Um, so I, you know, like I say, I, I like that perspective of separating the actual harvesting or killing of an animal from, from the lifestyle, because it really, you know, if you, and it's a great lifestyle, I agree. I mean, you're, you're outdoors, you're, you're actually, you know, uh, you know, getting sunshine, getting that vitamin D, getting the workout when you're up there. And that's why I just think that, you know, you go on these hunts that are these big things that you plan all year for, and it's, it's an opportunity to, to take it to that next level, to your, your mindset and work on all that, your fitness and everything. And yeah, hopefully harvest an animal at the end and you got some great protein. So yeah. you guys be willing to share like one of the tips to develop a better mindset for what we do. Absolutely. Go ahead, Ryan. I'm struggling to come up with one. Put, putting um, you on the spot. I, I know. Sorry. There, there's, there, no, I, I mean, I, I love making things actionable or, or giving tangible examples. Um, you know, I, I want people to listen to a podcast and come away with, okay, I can, I can implement this and immediately see a difference. Um, I'm just struggling to come up with. I have um, a question maybe that can help you a little bit. Uh, sure. it, that probably pertains more to my life, but probably to Ryan's as well is that, um, you talk a lot about, I mentioned earlier, heart rate variability and the sure. vagal tone. And a lot of people don't understand what either of those means. And I maybe, just learned about it this morning yeah, listening to Ryan. There. Because I'll tell you why. So right. I have this theory. And when I listened to your book, I was like, hmm, you kind of proved my theory. So Ryan is like, if you don't already know, He's sort of chilled out all the time and he doesn't even know what an anxiety attack is. He, he actually one time was real. I, we were in a really stressful time. It was with a relationship he had it with work and he was super stressed out. 
but you would never know because he doesn't like me, you know, when I'm stressed out, the whole world knows when I'm stressed out. My family knows everybody. So let's just see the smile on his face. Like everybody knows the mom's stressed out. And he said to me one night, I think my heart is like skipping a beat. Like, is something wrong with me? And I was like, I listened to it, you know, took his blood pressure, listened to his heart rate. I was like, yeah, you are skipping a beat. And he's like, I said, are you, are you stressed out? He's like, no. And I said, are you sure? Because you got a lot of stress going on right now. And he's like, well, I mean, I think I'm fine. So this, this happening over and over again, like a couple nights in a row, three nights in a row. And he didn't like the feeling of it. He didn't know how to interpret this feeling. Okay. Then he resolved this issue and all of a sudden he stopped having it. And I said, I think you were having anxiety. You were having stress and your body, you were getting this physiological response. And he was like, oh, that's what anxiety feels like. And I'm like, I guess, like, how do you not know what anxiety feels like? So he, yeah. he has this, uh, and I've never made him wear my aura ring. I, he doesn't have an aura ring and I should get him one because he has no idea what heart rate variability is, but he falls asleep like this. He's always calm, cool, and collected. He's very logical. We've talked about this. His personality is what a logical yeah. dude. He has no creativity and he doesn't care about your emotions. Um, and he, like, hunting to him is like relaxing. Like, this whole yeah. thing of killing himself is actually sort of his thing like he he's like the guys that climb the mountain with no rope they sit they don't you know when they have their brain scanned they their fear centers of their brain do not light up like the average person does when they see images of scary things or think of climbing a mountain with no ropes the centers of their brain don't actually light up now i'm not saying he's as dissociated as those guys may be but he is calmer in situations of stress and he always has been he sleeps really good he doesn't hardly ever complain of the things that i complain about taking most people from the world they're living in where they're working the nine to five they got all this stress they got all this stuff going on and then you just plop them in the mountains and expect them to turn it on and to get rid of their stress and to climb that mountain and not to bonk. And I think it's because a lot of people are running around with poor vagal tone. They don't know how to manage mm -hmm. stress. They're comp constantly in sympathetic overdrive and mm -hmm. they're not really ever resting and getting appropriate rest and recovery. Even if they're working out and they're eating the right food and mm -hmm. they think this, the, the way that they're responding to their environment through stress. And now we can measure it through things like heart rate variability. And I don't know, I guess vagal tone, you measure through heart rate variability, but mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. maybe you, so my theory is I'm a stressed out person. My, I cannot get my heart rate, no matter what I do, red lights, PMF mats, baths before bed, <laughs> herbal teas, read a book, stay off electronics. My heart rate variability rarely goes over 30. Rarely. If it's like 33, I'm like, whoa, I got good recovery <laughs> last night. And it's unusually when I'm on vacation. And it takes me a couple days, but the minute I go back into my workload, the minute I have a stress, the minute I have this, my heart rate variability is super, super low. And I consider myself a really healthy person. Like if you looked at me, you would think like, wow, she's pretty healthy. But I, I kind of live with this undertone of sympathetic stress all the time mm -hmm. that he doesn't have. So he makes it look easy when you go out in the mountains and you're just chilling out, like, but he's like that all the time. 
So I guess, Ryan, my question is maybe that can push you into helping our listeners no. understand what this is. And no. I think that's part of it, why most people can't actually get into those states as efficiently. Yeah. Okay. So there, there's a lot to unpack here. <laughs> okay. Um, and, <laughs> and, and you asked me a question in front of that that I have an answer for now. Okay. Um, get ready for a Jordan Peterson lecture. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm, I'm kidding. So I think to, to your question about, uh, to Ryan's question about an actionable tip, um, I think the, the first time I went to Montana with Mike, I was physically unprepared. Um, and, and coming from a background of, you know, fitness and, and gym guy and, and all that stuff, like that was, um, that was a kind of a, a it was an ego check for me. You know, I, I felt like, Hey, I'm going to go out there and, you know, I'll be fine. I'll do a little bit of prep. And, you know, I was not prepared for the elevation gain. I was not prepared for the mileage. I was not prepared to carry a loaded pack. Um, just in, in really in every way I was unprepared, um, and, you know, Mike even made the comment. He was like, well, I didn't tell you anything to do because like, I just figured, hey, like, you know, it's Ryan Muncy I'm hunting with. He'll be fine. And I'm like, I'm like, dude, thanks for the heads up. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. But, <laughs> um, you know, I, I used the way that I felt that day as fuel. Uh, the, the second day that we were hunting, um, I, I thought we were, we were hiking up in the dark um, and I mean, I had to stop, I, I don't know, way, way too frequently. And, you know, I, I make the joke that, you know, Mike was worried that he was going to have to, you know, carry me off the mountain. Um, but I know that my physical ability restricted my ability to hunt and our ability to hunt. So, you know, I think, you know, talking to Ryan, you mentioned earlier about, you know, responsibilities. I mean, if, if we're a good hunting partner, then we have to realize that our limitations create limitations on the group, right? So, you know, it's not just me that I'm holding back. It's, it's Mike and, you know, it was just the two of us, but if there's a larger group, then now I'm holding back to the larger group. Right. And so, um, I, made an agreement with myself or a vow that, you know, on that, you know, from that day forward, you know, there's not much I can do at that point in the hunt. But, you know, once I got home, um, training to be a Western hunter became a priority for me. And I made sure that from that point forward, my physical limitations uh, would never restrict or, or limit what I could do on a hunt in the mountains. Um, and that that gives me the purpose that, that we were kind of talking about earlier. And it creates this environment now where I've got this annual training calendar and I can look and I can say, Hey, if I'm going to be able to perform at this level on this date, these are the things that have to happen, you know, along the way. So we can reverse engineer it. We can set up the plan. And, you know, Ryan, you're asking for that kind of that one mental trick, you know, it's, it's, I can, I can vividly recreate the way I felt in that moment in my mind that, um, the, the disappointment in myself, the frustration, the sadness, the anger, whatever all those emotions are, I can bring those back on command and just say, I'm never going to feel like that again. And the way that I avoid that future pain is, you know, doing this hour of step ups today that I'm supposed to do in my basement and just stare at a wall, right? And, you know, if I can do an hour of step ups on a box in my basement with a weighted pack, put me on a mountain and I mean, it's going to feel easy because A, it's a lighter pack than what I train with. And B, it, I get to look at something like what's behind me right now, as opposed to, you know, bare insulation on a basement wall. Right. Um, 
so I guess that's the tip is like to, to find a, a pain point that you can recreate and then use that as a trigger to say, I never want to feel that way again. Um, now on to very interesting and I sorry to interrupt, but I have yeah. that pain point. I can think of it vividly. Um, cause there was a time it was back in my guiding days. I came back from guiding, uh, for five months and I went on a, on a mule deer trip and I was, it's, it's the, the one time in my life where I bonked to the point where, like I said, no mountain too high, no basin too steep. I looked down into the bottom of that where I should have gone to get that mule deer and I didn't have it in the tank. I was spent just getting to my area mm -hmm. and, uh, talk about disappointment. Like I can, I can remember that point and knowing I do not ever want to feel like this again. Mm -hmm. Um, yep. so that's, that's good. I'm glad you said that. Well, and it's, I mean, that's actually part of that story is, you know, when Mike and I were kind of where we got to that day, there were several bulls that we could class and, you know, I was like, oh, are we going to go get them? And he's like, no. <laughs> and basically it was because he knew I couldn't get there and back. <laughs> and I'm like, all right, well. Um, and so that's, that's just it. It's like, I'm never going to be in that position again. If I see a bull or, or a deer that I want going and getting it and getting it back out, is never going to be a problem. Um, so on to the, the conversation of vagal tone and, and anxiety, heart rate variability. I mean, I think, you know, I've, I've never spent time with Ryan, but, but I've, I've seen some of the, the videos and, and I've heard you speak a couple of times, um, you know, talking to you today. I, I would categorize you as a very um, headstrong individual. You, you probably have a lot of what we would call top-down regulation. And, you know, what Hillary is describing there is, you know, if you are in high stress situations, um, you know, over a length of time, like with work, um, you're able to, you know, mentally talk yourself through it, deal with it, whatever. Um, and maybe you don't necessarily have symptoms of being high stress, at least emotionally or mentally, but then they begin to manifest physiologically, the, the heart skipping a beat, um, and so that that's actually bottom up regulation that signals coming from, you know, bottom going to the top. And so when we talk about the vagus nerve, it's unique because most nerves are either afferent or efferent, meaning that the information either travels to or away from the brain. The vagus nerve is uh, one that goes both ways. Right. And so when we talk about, you know, gut brain connection that is the vagus nerve and we have communication going in both directions, right? So the head can talk to visceral organs, visceral organs can send information up to the head. Um, and so, you know, bottom up and top down regulation are both real things. And so, um, you know, to another, like I said, with, with what Hillary's comment was, I mean, there's, there's a lot in there to unpack. And so I've been lucky enough to work with a wide enough variety of people where I've worked with some athletes who are, top-down regulators. And then there are a lot of others who are bottom-up regulators, meaning that if they get in their heads, they don't perform as well as they should. They need to actually, um, they need to get into the flow. They need to feel things. If it's a swimmer, they need to actually be in the water and feel the water. Um, a, a wrestler that, you know, they, they need to feel somebody else's hands on them. You hear football players talk all the time. They don't feel like they're in the game until they get hit for the first time, right? That's bottom-up regulation. Um, and, and they just, don't know the scientific terms for it. Right. Um, and so that's why I said with the book, it's trying to marry theory and application. Um, and so, um, 
forget where I was going with all that. But, you know, if, if Ryan is a top down guy and he's just, I don't want to say shutting it off or, or ignoring it or compartmentalizing it, but if it's not being dealt exactly with. Exactly what he's doing. Exactly. Then the body, the, the body is going to be like, yo, like we can't keep ignoring this. We can't keep compartmentalizing, whatever. And so it, it begins to manifest as a symptom that has never shown up before until, you know, squeaky wheel gets the oil, right? So like, hey, this thing's got to get resolved, right? And so then you, you get to the resolution and, and then it goes. Um, you know, and I think another thing that, that you point out, Hillary, is, you know, when, when Ryan's on a hunt, you know, he's kind of in this Zen space and, and he does well and, and maybe other people won't. I think there's a lot that goes into that as well. And I mean, Ryan, how long have you been hunting? You know, 30, 40 years. And, and so for you to go on a 10 day extreme adventure, you know, you guys have your inflatable rafts and you're, you know, crossing some kind of crazy river and, and backpacking in, you know, miles from civilization. If, if somebody's never been on a trip like that before, their level of stress is going to be significantly higher than yours because of experience, right? And it's it's just like, you know, if if Alex Honnold is is free climbing El Capitan and I've never climbed anything before in my life, even if he gives me a harness and, and a whole bunch of belay systems, I'm going to be scared. You know, my level of anxiety is going to be much higher, um, you know, if I'm there as my, because even if it's not my first time, I don't have his level of experience. And so, you know, individually, there's a lot of variation in how we deal with and handle uh, emotional, physical stress, right? So some people are warriors, some people are warriors. Um, I think you guys, one of you is each of those, right? And so if, you know, naturally, that's the way you tend to go with things. And then again, you put somebody who is top down regulator, who tends to be more of the warrior type, you put them in a situation where they have a ton of experience, they're really not going to show a lot of stress. And that would make sense. Um, you know, but but like I said, there's a lot that goes into that. And, you know, if if you don't have the experience, you're going to react differently. If you don't regulate or um, deal with things in a certain way, your experience or in that situation is going to be different. So, um, you know, that's, that's an important thing for folks listening to realize and, and remember is, you know, you may not be a top-down regulator. You may be bottom-up. You may not be a warrior. You may be a warrior. Um, so all of our experiences are, are going to be unique, but, um, and, and this is something that I teach and it's in the book, the, the most important part of that is awareness, right? Awareness creates choice. Um, it affords us the opportunity to make a better choice. And so with an awareness of, hey, this is what's going on. Hey, this is how I typically respond. These are my belief systems. These are my thought patterns, right? Now we have an opportunity to interject and either continue the way that things have been going or make a choice that is, let's say, aligned with our goals or values, right? Um, and then back to the vagus nerve, you're talking about HRV. Um, I mean, again, everybody has sort of different, uh, like, you know, Hillary, you're saying yours maybe never being over 30. Um, you know, some people, you know, maybe a good score for them is 40 or 50. Um, it, HRV is a very complex topic. And I think if, if somebody has never heard of that, just to give you a primer on it, um, so we're familiar with heart rate, right? And that would just be HR, heart rate, if you're writing an abbreviation. So someone's heart rate is the number of beats per minute, right? And if we could graph that visually and somebody could look at that, you would see peaks and valleys, right? And, and the peak is the beat every time it hits. Well, 
heart rate variability is measuring, let's say like if you looked at it graphically and you measured the space between the beats, right? So between beat one and two, um, if, we're, if we're looking at that graphically, maybe it's half an inch. And then between beat two and three, maybe it's three quarters of an inch. And then between beats three and four, maybe it's a quarter of an inch. Heart rate variability is that difference between in the time between the beats, right? And so visually seen on a graph, it's half inch, quarter inch, three quarters of an inch, right? So then you would add that up, you divide it by three, and you know, there's your your variance, right? And so it's it's a little more complicated than that. But for folks to be able to understand what heart rate variability actually means. And so it's it's the difference in the time between beats. It's not the time itself, but it's the difference. And, you know, I was lucky enough to interview Dr. Stephen Porges, who's the guy that discovered it. And when he first posited this theory, his colleagues told him that he was a bad data collector. It was bad science and that he should just throw it away and be ignored. Um, you know, but luckily for us, he didn't. And he pursued the research and he kept going with it. And now we have things like, you know, whoop and aura rings that track this. And, you know, it's become a, a big fitness fad. Um, but basically, what that does is it gives us, as you said, Hillary, that's, that's how we quantify vagal tone. Um, vagal tone can be described as, um, I, I, I think of it as bandwidth. Um, I like that analogy or, or thought process because um, we're all familiar with the bandwidth capacity of the internet that we have at our home, right? So if you've got five different people trying to stream something and you have poor quality internet, the performance on all those devices is going to go down, right? If, if we're all watching YouTube videos and Netflix and whatever at the same time, that system can only handle so much, right? But if we have bigger bandwidth, we can handle more, right? So higher HRV or higher vagal tone increases our bandwidth. We have a greater capacity to deal with things, right? And vice versa. When it's lower, our capacity is lower. And if you want to test this, don't sleep tonight and tell me what your capacity is tomorrow to deal with things, right? We all know that after a night of no sleep, our capacity, our brain function, our performance, it goes down, right? And, and there's no coincidence there because sleep is the parasympathetic activity that we do most. It is the thing that has the single greatest impact on increasing vagal tone or heart rate variability. Is the speaking of the heart rate variability, like I said, um, good, great explanation. I'm uh, I'm still trying to wrap my brain around some of it. Like I, I listened to you this morning talking about it, but that distance between beats, the longer that distance, what does that determine? Does that determine a fitness level? Does that determine what 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 can that tell you? I think it determines your ability to get into parasympathetic. Okay, is that right? Uh, it's, it's both, right? So, okay. so one, one's, one's cause the other's effect, basically. So the more time that we spend in a parasympathetic state, the typically the greater our heart rate variability is going to be, right? And that would support what you were saying, Hillary, that, you know, if you look, if you just took a cross section of the world, especially Americans, you know, we are in sympathetic overdrive, right? We're always in activated mode, right? Um, and, and so we'll take a step back. If, if folks are not familiar with sympathetic and parasympathetic, 
Those are the two branches of the autonomic nervous system. Everybody has heard of the sympathetic because you know fight or flight, right? That's a state of activation. Um, and then the opposite of that is parasympathetic. That would be rest and digest or feed and breed. So the more time we spend in parasympathetic, the higher our heart rate variability or vagal tone is going to be. So another way to think about that is the more you're at rest, the greater your capacity is. The more you're recovered, the more your capacity is, right? It's kind of like if, if you think about like plugging your cell phone in periodically throughout the day, right? How many people go from morning to go into bed at night without plugging their cell phone in during the day, right? Most people couldn't go the whole day on one cell phone charge, right? Um, and so every chance you get, you're going to plug it in. Like, oh, let me top off my battery. Let me steal a couple of percentage points. And so if we look at our, our days like that, we can start to introduce parasympathetic activities or recovery activities throughout the day. Um, you know, things like breath work or five minutes of meditation, or, you know, you just go sit outside and stare at the mountains or, you know, take a walk in nature. There's tons of different things. And we can talk about some of those later, but this idea of breaking that cycle of constantly being sympathetic um, or, or fight or flight, right. Um, that's going to increase vagal tone synonymous with increasing HRV. Those are interchangeable terms, right? And so to Ryan's question, um, it's not necessarily that we want the length longer, but we want the variance greater. So heart rate variability, like if your HRV heart rate variability, if your score is higher, that means that there is a greater variance in that time between beats. So maybe one beat, there's only a quarter of a second difference. And then the next beat, there's three quarters of a second. And then the next one, it's, you know, uh, I don't know, an eighth of a second. But the greater that um, irregularity is, then the higher the, the HRV is, right? Because remember, it's, it's, it's a measure of the variability, not necessarily a measure of the distance itself, right? Um, and so you know, you're asking, you guys were asking if it's one or the other, it's the greater that the variability is, the, the higher our score, the higher our capacity. So yes, to the question of performance, on a day that we wake up with um, greater capacity, we're usually able to do more, be better. You know, you, you might you might set a PR in the gym or you might have a, a better run or, um, you know, you're just a better day as a parent because you can deal with, you know, stuff to a greater extent. What are you looking at me for? <laughs> <laughs> I have, I, I'm a stressed out person. Yeah. I, I'm I was going to say that, but. Yeah, I'm a stressed out person, but I, I, at the older I'm getting, I don't know what my heart rate variability was like. So when I went, before I went to med school, I was a pretty chilled out person. Yeah. I taught yoga. I used to backcountry ski. I did a lot of stuff like that. Then I had a head trauma actually in 2004 that I really think changed me because I had a really bad mountain bike accident and I landed on my head and I had a lot of pain from that. And I had a long kind of recovery from that. And I feel like since then I have a very hard time controlling my stress response. 
so COVID did not help. Definitely. I got some long COVID stuff and I think it affected my limbic system. But I, if I think back on my life, that head trauma, I feel like instigated it. And then all the stress I've had since then having babies and not sleeping, being sleep deprived, like women, I think go through like great at like multitasking and having a thousand jobs. It seems like, like, I, I don't know how they do it. I can't, I got to focus on one thing, one thing only, but He's like, why are you talking to me about five things at the same time? <laughs> I cannot handle you. Get out of here. Because yeah. I'm like, why don't we do this? Then why don't we do that? Hey, why don't you go over here and do this? He's like, no, 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 no. She's always been great at that. Like, like I said, the multitasking thing or taking on five different jobs or, you know, having so many things thrown at you. But yeah, as of late, that's uh, suffered a little bit. Well, I'm also going through menopause which means I'm losing estrogen, which mm -hmm. I can tell because I work with people on hormones. That's what I do. So I know all these symptoms that start to happen, but it's, it's really interesting when you experience things yourself, right? Like how many times do you give somebody advice? You've never actually taken the med. You've never taken the supplement. You've never done that workout. You've never climbed a mountain. You've never actually killed an animal. You've never like had a baby. You've never been through menopause, like all these things you don't think of. And then when you go through them, you're like, oh, this is what people feel like. Okay. I get it. Like it, it's actually good. It helps you understand what the people you're trying to help may be experiencing. There's a lot of asks out there. And I think that's, <laughs> yeah. that's always a, a problem spot is, is actually saying no to like all these, there's always these things coming in. You can only handle so much. Anybody can only handle so much. So she, she just tends to say yes and she will tackle this and she will answer in depth every question that comes in and um i think the health suffers when you just overload yourself like that yeah i mean i think it becomes cumulative right i mean you know that's it's uh, trauma or, and you know either acute or ongoing trauma you know it, to some extent gets stored in our nervous system and then you know on, on a cellular level we i mean it's not again that's this is a great example i think it goes back to how everything is connected you know you, you, you know trauma isn't just something that happens in your head and you think about it right you have you have you know uh, hormone things going on you've got you know uh, the flight or flight response you've got you know um, uh, endorphins and there's all kinds of different you know neurochemical things going on in your body you know and and it can i mean people this is this is such a critical point is that people don't understand like that can really literally affect you on a genetic level right and, and carry through to your children and their children i mean so you know at the risk of sounding you know woo, -woo or whatever i mean you go back to to your accident and yeah that's an acute trauma and you had pain involved and you had stress and worry and you're in the hospital and this and that you know well you know and then and then you sort of go through med school and you do and, and, and life just becomes you know this this sort of baseline of higher stress and, and all of that is sort of a consistent drag on your nervous system and, and, and your, and your biology in general. I mean, and that really, so, yeah, I mean, you, you know, it's a good question. Like what was your HRV prior to any of that when you were in your twenties and you might've, you might've had a little bit higher baseline than, than Ryan or anybody else. But at the same time, you start adding this cumulative effect and people tend to think of, you know, stressful situations as sort of this one-off thing. Well, we start to stack that on top of each other and all, all the biological physiological functions that go along with that, that, that heightened level of stress. And just, you know, I mean, it, it's, you can see it. I mean, it's part of, I think what you're talking about Hillary of walking around the airport, looking at everybody, you know, everybody's baseline of stress is 
incredibly higher than it was 50, 75, 100 years ago, right? And that manifests itself in, in a lot of these, a lot of the health things we're seeing. Of course, you know, diet and nutrition are a big part of that as well. But, but you know, it, it really are, are, you know, the vagal, vagal tone goes down. We're, con- you know, we're constantly on that, right on the edge of fight or flight. You know, we've got, you know, adrenaline and, and things like that going on at a certain level all the time that we're just not meant you know, as a species, we're not meant to really handle that, you know, and, and, and so many people just go through, through their lives, you know, trying to like internalize the stress and take on more and more and more. And it just, it just becomes pretty, pretty tough on, on health and, 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 you know, your, you know, psychology and emotions and everything else. I mean, it's, well, I remember when Ryan and I got married 25 years ago, it was a different world. Yeah. We had Absolutely. like flip Motorola, Motorola phones. Mm-hmm. I don't even know if we owned, we owned an old computer, I think. And we like, I was telling my daughter the other day, you know, you couldn't just turn Netflix on. Your dad and I would go to the video store on Friday night and <laughs> rent a video <laughs> that we put in our video player. And we would have Friday night date night, or we went to the movies, or we did stuff. We didn't have cell phones. We didn't have computers. We didn't have... We had like voicemail machines. We had a landline with a voicemail machine. And, you know, people now, kids nowadays can't even fathom what that means. And that scares me in a lot of ways, because not that our life was perfect, but we were not on demand 24 seven. And just in 25 years, the amount of immediate gratification, dopamine destroying activity is like, happen so quickly that imagine the people who don't have the outlets like Ryan and I do, you know, we don't, they don't have gardening. They don't go out into the mountains. They are literally living in a city on, 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 surrounded by electromagnetics, surrounded by people. Everybody's on a cell phone now. It's like, it's sort of frightening to me as I know that I'm a stressy person, but it gets worse. I feel like the more that you're on call 24 seven, and then I see it in my kids, you know, the, the need to have the phone and need to have the iPad, the need to have immediate constant noise, constant music, like things constantly on. And, um, that's, that's the one thing that I think I worry about the most. And we live in an amazing place when, when we hear one of our kids say, I'm bored. (laughs) <laughs> they, 10 seconds after they get off the ipad they're bored <laughs> let's tell you some stories about yeah that's stories I'll, I'll try not to get on my soapbox about it but one of the things that i like to i mean i talk to people a lot about is you know i, I think that that the pace of our technological advancements as a society as a planet have far outpaced our ability to adapt to them as, as a species right and whether that's whether that's the the food that's become available you know all the all the cheap inexpensive crappy calories that have become available in the past 75 years whether that's the type of light you're 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 in indoors or whatnot you know i mean we spent you know tens of thousands if not hundreds of thousands of years you know as a species as humans adapting to sunlight and and you know the the the, the color of the light the temperature of the light in the morning at noon at night and it, and it and it's this you know this rhythm and when we our biology our physiology adapted and and, and evolved 
along with that. And now the pace of our technology, I mean, you know, you, you know, talking about going from incandescent to, to LED lights, I mean, it's in the space of what, I mean, 25, 50, 40 years, something like that. Um, and, and the quality of that light, just that little thing makes such a difference in things like how we sleep and, and our stress levels and, you know, all this. And yeah, it's, you know, great. Light bulbs last 100 years and they light up as bright as the sun and you know, at night. And, you know, what is that doing to our our physiology, our biology. I mean, it's, a, you know, and that's just one example of, uh, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's crazy. The, the things that we've done and, and anyway, Ryan, you're, I won't get on myself. No, no, it's, 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 it's funny that, that you brought the, up the example of the light bulb. Um, and the, the way that I say what Mike just said is that our current lifestyles are at odds with our biology. Um, and I have a relatively new client that I'm working with and I was explaining to him exactly what Mike was just saying and how, you know, um, some of these technological advances have facilitated, uh, things that, you know, whether it's air conditioning or heating or, or lights, you know, whatever electricity, you know, we've had that stuff for maybe 150 years. And, and as Mike said, you know, the, the human body and our biology just doesn't adapt within two generations or three generations to that, right? And, and he's like, you know, it's funny, and my client says, it's funny that you mentioned this. And he studied, I, I really cannot remember what he told me he studied now, but um, he had a professor or researcher that he knew that told him that the single worst invention for human health throughout history was the light bulb. Um, and, and it makes sense. I mean, when, when you think about Yes, it has afforded us some amazing opportunities, but if you objectively or accurately look at the way that it has changed circadian rhythms and, uh, you know, and I think this is, I mean, you guys and most of the people that listen to your podcast are aware, like, hey, if you just go spend 10 days in nature, you're going to feel way better on a whole lot of different levels. And, and probably first and foremost is because you're living in harmony with uh, you know, the natural sunlight, the rhythms of, you know, waking up with the sun, going to bed with the sun and, you know, those types of things. And so uh, I don't think that there's a coincidence that we all feel better uh, when we spend that much more time in nature. Oh, yeah, for sure. I think I would agree with the light situation. It's we're not meant to be on just like, you know, we're not meant to be on all the time. We're, we're really meant to go with the cycles and hibernate in the winter and be awake more in the summer and I mean yeah I think that I think I've noticed it in Ryan and that's probably one of the reasons my guess is he has a high heart rate variability is because he gets a lot of time in nature away from artificial light besides mm -hmm. his phone I'd have to figure out what that Variability is. I'll put my R ring on your pinky and you can wear it around for the next couple of days. Yeah. You better get him his own because if his is that I much know. higher than yours, it's going to skew all your right, historical right. data. I know they're going to be like, wow, Hillary, you like got super healthy. What did you do? I'm like, no, I, I have a girlfriend who's like, got like her heart rate variability is like 80 something. I, I'm just like, what? How do you do that? Like, I, I literally am the sleep hygiene girl now. If Ryan's in bed with his phone on, I'm just like, get that thing yeah. out of there. But the brain is amazing.